Welcome, everybody. We're very lucky to have Cheryl DeSantis with us here today. And Cheryl is the Chief People and Diversity Officer at the Smile Direct Club, which is a company disrupting a 120-year-old $12 billion orthodontics industry, which I should say I am a Smile Direct Club customer as well. Uh, Cheryl has more than 20 years of experience in strategic people and organizational development. She enables the growth of business through its team members, which I love, striving to maintain a strong company culture through values-based leadership. And her purpose is to inspire and empower courageous transformation and leaders to bring more empathy, love, and kindness to the world. She's got her new book coming out, or it's out, excuse me, Steel Backbone, Soft Heart, How a Heart-Centered Leadership Changes the Way You Live, Love, and Lead. That's awesome. Hopefully, I did that justice, Cheryl. How are you doing? I think you sounded great. Thank you so much. No, that's great. Do you want? Do you mind just giving a little bit more background on what brought you here and what you're up to these days? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, well, hi, you know Cheryl. I am. Uh, I'm a mom first. I have three daughters um, of varying ages, um, and I have been in the corporate world. Um, for a long time, too many years than I care to actually articulate. I was about to give that number, but I'm going to leave it for you guys in suspense. <laughs> um, I started out my career thinking I wanted to take the PR marketing world by storm. And I did that for a little bit, including TV advertising. Um, and I thankfully worked for a company who said, you know what, we're going to start to market to our employees. And we want to pull you over for marketing and start doing that. And so that was my first leap into HR but via communications. Um, and I just fell in love with it. It was funny. They they tried to pull me back into TV advertising and I, I went for like a couple months and I was like, I just miss the people side. I miss developing people. I miss helping people thrive. I miss coaching. Um, you know, I had played sports my whole life. I played basketball and softball, but I went to college on a softball scholarship, which a lot of people don't know, especially given I'm 5'2". It's not intuitive, um, but now that your listeners can visualize that. Um, but it, And so sports were always a big part of my life. And so that whole coaching and development was really something I missed. And so I've spent my career doing that. And, um, you know, with the book, that might be a longer story. Do you want me to go into that? Or would you like to talk more about my background? Oh, I have some questions about your background, if that's okay. I, yeah. Okay, so you played softball. That's awesome yeah. and got a scholarship. So you were kind of a big deal in, in softball. Um, I mean, I thought I was. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what position did you play? I'm sure many, but what was your oh, specialty? Well, I played... Um, in high school, I played second base. Uh, and in college, I played outfield. I played center field. I was leadoff batter. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was kind of scrappy. I love to steal bases and run. And I miss it to this day. I, I'll hear the crack of a bat. And I think, God, I missed that. Start running. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you must have had some wheels to uh, be leadoff hitter. You're pretty quick stealing bases. I had... I was blessed with some speed. Yes. Thankfully, I was... Uh, I was uh, fast, and uh, thankfully, I had a dad who taught me how to hit with power too. So I had oh, a little bit of fun. Oh, dynamic! I, I played baseball for eleven years growing up, and uh, I, I'm a, I know it's a little different, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, you couldn't watch softball on uh, ESPN back in the day when I was growing up, so I spent a lot of time watching baseball. So I'm a huge, huge baseball fan, and I did learn a lot from that game as well. Oh, that's great. We were just uh, at an event this weekend, and it, it was here in Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas, and yeah. we were down in San Antonio when the Astros won the World Series, which was pretty fun. It was a rowdy environment. 
I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so people and coaching, I mean, these are passions of mine. And I am obsessed with people development and coaching in many forms and fashions. What attracts you to, to people development and coaching? You know, I first and foremost love the process of getting to know somebody, like what makes them tick, what makes them feel alive, you know, what their dreams and ambition are. But I think I get hooked on that moment when somebody really gets unlocked and they suddenly can see that they can be so much bigger than they even thought they could be and that their dreams were were possible. And it's that little dopamine hit <laughs> from that, that I, that I just, I love. And um, I love watching people start to realize how powerful and courageous they can be if they just believe in themselves um, and know themselves. And so, you know, that's really what it is for me. Um, I love it with the teams I lead and the people I lead. I love watching them rise and go do new things and different things. And, um, you know, so sometimes when people leave your teams, you think, oh, I'm so sad, but I love it. Also, when I go see them really elevate themselves because they've had such good development with a team I've been involved in. Oh, that's great. I appreciate what you said at the beginning there around identifying their dreams and ambition. That's such a different kind of leadership. And we've, we've talked about this on our podcast a few times, but it's, Make, taking the initiative as a leader to know what those dreams are is, is, I think, is incredibly powerful. And then helping them kind of unlock that uh, potential they have and that that aha that you mentioned, or as we call it, ahas, yeah. and then helping them really turn that into growth. Yes. And, you know, a big premise of my book is around your personal story is actually your leadership story, right? And when a leader can tap into their personal story and start to share it, it enables others to do the same. And when other people bring in their personal story, their loss, their adversity, their hopes, their dreams, that's when you really start to move the needle on what is the best development for them and, and what will make them come alive and thrive. Oh, that's great. And, and their their personal stories, you know, being the kind of the power for them, and and knowing what their kind of, I guess strengths and opportunities are from a vulnerability standpoint, is a is a piece of that. Yes, um, that is certainly. I mean, the the ability to be vulnerable is something that a lot of a journey a lot of people have to go on, um, and so that is first and foremost. And then really having the courage to acknowledge strengths and weaknesses and mm. struggles. You know, I. I thought I was this great leader and I got some feedback on a survey. This was 10, 12, 12 years ago. And it it said, uh, people find you hard to get to know. And, and I thought, that's so crazy. I'm so personable. I'm always saying hi to everybody. I, you know, I, I care about their work, but I wasn't opening up to them through vulnerability. And so I do think that that, that is core. I think it also is taking the time to reflect and really understanding these moments that matter in your personal history and, and what you made them mean, you know, what you really said in your head of, oh, that'll never happen again, or, oh, I want more of that, or, oh, you know, that person, you know, I didn't like the way that person led, I will always do this. You know, those moments are important, but it takes reflection to find them. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. And there's a, an element of authenticity as a leader that then, I guess, empowers your your team or those the influence to bring that same level to the table. Yes, you, you nailed it. It's, it's, there, there's a, I think, 
you know, there's a saying around leaders go first. And when leaders can show that authenticity and that vulnerability, um, it does. It invites everyone to have a seat at the table and to just let their guard down and breathe and be themselves. Oh man, I, there's there's something I say, uh, a saying that I that I use. I call it leading from the front, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, kind of practice what you preach. Common common way to say that, but I, I believe in that. I think that there's a couple faces of what that means too, and one is what you just mentioned, and and also I think there's something to what the team will see in you if you are taking the initiative to go like encounter things first and and kind of be at the front and they, there's trust that comes with that too. Yeah, I do. I agree with that. I think one of the um, principles in the book is around courage. And I think um, when a leader can take a courageous stance and really fight for the team, um, I do think that that reverberates down through the team. Not only does it empower them to be more courageous, but it just creates a, a deeper bond because um, what we want as humans, whether it's at work or in our relationships, is we want people to have our backs. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, that they know you're going to fight for them. So you feel like yeah. you're, you're, they have your back. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So you mentioned the principles in the book. I want to jump in there, but anything on the inspiration for you? And you know, as you got as you've gone through your journey and your career, and you've developed this this framework around leading with purpose and your values, and mm-hmm. what made you want to write the Steel Backbone Soft Heart? Yeah, well, I um I started I started with the concept in my brain, you know, around ten years ago, but it was going to be kind of like leading with empathy, and I had just really discovered vulnerability, and I wanted to share my story, um, but I didn't because I don't think I had the whole picture yet. It took me going through a lot of change, adversity, <laughs> um, successes, but a lot of personal depth, and and really thinking about what do we need to do to be effective leaders? And I tell these stories in the book. Um, And uh, I had some really hard um, encounters at work um, with a situation that felt very bullying to me. Um, But what really got me um, to actually sit down and write it was um, I went through last year um, the loss of someone I loved dearly Mm, um, and died unexpectedly. And he was always on me to write this book. And I was always like, I will one day. I'm, I'm, I have three daughters, two dogs. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm, I'm a C-suite person. You know, I just kept every excuse. Um, and when he passed away, I thought, um, time is short. 
you know, and I, I really have this mission of changing corporate America to adopt this more heart-centered leadership. You know, it, it has different names, human-centered, people-centered, heart-centered. Um, I like heart because I'm, I, you know, if you look at the, the, the word heart, you know, it, there's a French word, cour, and that's the root of courage. Um, and I've always just loved that. I've loved the, you know, that connection between heart and courage. But anyway, so I sat down and wrote it and uh, it, it just poured out of me. It was cathartic. It was, uh, it probably was part of the grief process, but it, I was just like, I want to, I want to leave this world a better place for my daughters. And I want to share these 10 principles in my quest to change the leadership style in corporate America. I applaud you for channeling that, that period of your, of your life where you're going through this and turning it into a positive that other people can, can leverage for their own success. So great way to turn a potential difficult time into, I'm sure it was a difficult time, but turn it into something much bigger for yourself and for others. It was. And I had that reflection of, you know, people tend to talk about the five stages of grief and they're very real, but I really think there's a six, which is purpose. And when you can start to give what you're going through a purpose, or at least your energy, a purpose, then you really start to move through it and start to understand that while sometimes grief will always live in your heart, you can bring some honor to the person or the thing via what you're trying to do elsewhere. Yeah, that's great. We we talk a lot about purpose at The One Thing on this podcast. There's an iceberg analogy that, that we pull from the book that we use. And above the waterline is your productivity and your productivity towards the things you want to achieve, your goals, personally, professionally. Just below the waterline is your ability to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And just beneath that is is purpose that drives priority, that that drives productivity, just to give some context. I uh, and, I, and what I've learned or experienced is, especially when people are getting started in this concept, like, I, okay, I fundamentally understand what you're saying with purpose being something that's important. Uh, they, I've seen a lot of struggle with trying to identify what it means for them. Mm-hmm. And so I like to ask this question, and I know it's a it's kind of a big question, but what, what does purpose mean for you personally, and how do you apply that concept? So when I think about purpose, uh, for me, it's about what do I want to achieve in this life? And getting there is not a simple task, right? You really do have to think about all the influences on your life and and what how you make that mean something for you. Um, you know, for me, um, you read off my purpose around creating, you know, tra- um, courageous leaders. Um, since then, though, I've added this other one of, of transforming corporate America. And for me, it's what gives me the energy every day to say, um, I'm going to balance my family with this work because this work is super important. <laughs> um, so for me, purpose is that that higher calling of what you want to achieve while we are here um, on this planet. Um, and uh, it just gives you motivation on uh, and direction on where you're going. Yeah, direction, motivation. I hear a lot that it's it's the why and you know, mm-hmm. the the why behind what action you're taking, what you're prioritizing. It's great. So, okay, transforming corporate America is a big one. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a big initiative you're on there. <laughs> yes, I know. And uh, it may just be the tip of the spear, but, um, you know, I feel like it is a mission and a purpose that I really think will change. I mean, if you look at where we've been since the pandemic, right, we, we have had more mental health um, 
kind of awareness, but more mental health issues, more sadness, more grief. There is just a lot going on. And the uncertainty, like the volatility, the uncertainty, the ambiguity, you know, people are unsettled. And um, as leaders, well, I'll take even a step back. If you look at what's going on in society, you know, I mean, there is a lot from, you know, the racial, social, political. I mean, it is it is it is a time that we have not seen with how much um, unrest there is. So I do think that people cannot leave themselves at the door of, an, of a workplace. We know that we've been talking about that with diversity, equity and inclusion for a long time. But this is like their humanity. And I and I believe that one of the purposes of COVID and the pandemic and all of that is is to help us really recapture people's humanity and to realize that they are not just, you know, productivity or they're not just widgets. They are full people, wholehearted people that we have to engage, develop, motivate and inspire. Mm. And, uh, you know, I may just be one person, but I'm hoping if I can change one company and get the message out that it won't so much always be. Um, you know, the, the brilliant jerks, there's a better term for that, that Netflix used, but I'll be, I'll be a proper lady. Um, but you know, there, there still is a heavy dose of that being, you know, maybe what's rewarded and what's looked to as, as strong leadership. But I just believe the combination is steel backbone, stuff heart. You can still be strong, have a vision, set tough goals, be challenging, give good feedback, um, strong feedback, but you have to have that soft heart so that you can capture people's um, attention, their mind. And and that's where you'll get true productivity is when they feel you care about them and that you're at stake for them. Focused on the whole person. And you believe if you truly believe that and and what you're saying is, you know, we need to lead from the front Uh, as leaders and in an organization in a position like you're in where you can influence in in a big way. It's it's leading from the front with the organization. It just starts with one and the snowball uh, downhill in a positive way. That there's a there's a bit of a headwind. I, I think culturally, I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on, opinion on this. But you can see a shift. There's more attention drawn to this than there ever has been in in, in the past. So you're out in front of it. Um, but I I question sometimes in different organizations how surface level that is uh, and how deep it, it can penetrate into you know all the way down to the way that we incentivize a business, for example, and when you start getting into you know quarterly earnings and profit reviews and that's where it'll typically stop it's like hey we we believe in to a point and i love what you'd said is you know value the person first over profit or production and cuz if you do then it can influence those things um but i love that that's where you're thinking because it's it's something we have to do to impact that way but man is there ever a headwind against that once you get down to the the profit piece right yeah, you know, um, I I I know some companies are going more toward this isn't the people piece, but the triple bottom line, right? Which is mm-hmm. more of the, you know, the impact on on society. But yes, and I think you know there is an aspect of culture when you're looking at defining culture, which is so hard. But a big chunk of it is how you value your people leaders, and are your people leaders the ones who are the more revered talent? Or is it just the ones that are driving for KPIs? I have thankfully lived in an organization (laughs) where it was the star makers, the people leaders, the ones that could engage a broad 
team, you know, across country or, you know, across the globe team. And so it is possible, but it has to be part uh, to your point, it does have to be part of who gets promoted, who is seen as, you know, the next leader up. And, um, the, you know, the key there is those talent reviews. So as an HR practitioner, when you're having a succession talks or, or, or talent reviews where you're looking at who's ready now, later and future for these big roles, you know, it tends to be your your GM, your VP roles, you know, ones where you're really going in depth with succession planning. It has to be the the conversation has to be a combination of both. It has to be what they've achieved and then how they've led people. And and do people want to work for them? Absolutely. And we have this responsibility, I think, to adapt and with knowing that this is is a need. And also you've got a workforce that's evolving and and there's an expectation there that people are seeking leadership in this in this mm-hmm. way. And so it's better to be in front of it if you're a new leader or an even experienced leader. How can you incorporate more of this into the way that you approach developing your team and how you approach your team? Yeah, um, I, I think that's exactly right. And if nothing else, the great resignation taught us that people are going to leave toxic cultures and toxic leaders and go look for a culture that is more empowering, <laughs> giving you more autonomy, but also more care and respect, you know? And uh, I think that is definitely upon us. You know, one thing that's worked for us at Smile Direct Club, where I am currently working, is as a business, we have a lot of empathy for our customer. And so our operating mode is how can we have the best customer experience and how can we really get to know our customers? So for companies that are struggling with how to find empathy for their employees or team members or associates, you need nothing than nothing less than looking at how you value and respect your customers because you can turn that same energy to your employees and your team members and 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 then it starts to all come together because when you have engaged fulfilled happy team members or employees they're going to bring the productivity right they're going to want to produce because of the energy that they're bringing and then when you go through tough times as a business those are the ones that stick with you, right? Because you have been there for them, that they repay that favor. Not not in all cases, but in many cases. Um, and that's where I tend to see people who go, I'll take any hill for that leader. It's because that leader cared, valued, um, and respected that that person. You know? Yeah, and, uh, that's it's so insightful. Uh, and you can see some of this showing up more, uh, at least the awareness around it. But it, perhaps there's there's tools and some deeper understanding that's still not quite there. And that's why I appreciate what you're focused on. Can we can we jump into the book a little bit? If I understand there's, there's 10 essential principles that, yes. uh, that are at kind of the heart of the book. Do you want to walk through those? Would that be a good place to go? Um, we could do that if you would like. Um, you know, the way the book is set up is um, there are, yes, there are 10 principles. And then at the end of each one, there is exercises um, where, you know, if you need to strengthen your uh, backbone, you know, there's like some thought exercises for that. If you need to, you know, work on your soft heart, um, there are exercises for that. And all of them... Sorry to interrupt you, Cheryl. Uh, Can I ask, so maybe that's helpful just to get your interpretation on the distinction between a steel backbone and a soft heart or the, I guess, the connection between those two things. What do they, what do they mean for you? Yeah. For uh, for steel backbone, um, a lot of what I put into it is really knowing yourself and and knowing boundaries 
and knowing where you want to take stands and 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 maybe where you don't you know what you really stand for um and and who you are as a person in in that regards the soft heart aspect is really around the vulnerability the the self reflection on resilience and and how you've gotten through tough times um and and things like that so you know for me the I always say the steel backbone part is um, having vision, you know, being able to understand how to lead the work or how to lead through work. But then the soft heart is, you know, kind of unzipping your heart and showing who you are, what you stand for and being able to provide compassion for people. Um, so that's that's kind of how I looked at it. They, they do start to intersect there because I think one fuels the other. Absolutely. I really, I really do think that when you develop an open heart and an empathetic look at the world, it enables you to be a bit stronger. Now, sometimes people don't have the boundaries and, and that's where, you know, a lot of the exercises in, in the book come in. Is there an internal, I guess, application of this when you think about, hey, how how do I have a steel backbone and a soft heart? But then is there also a how do I lead with a steel backbone and a soft heart? So like an internal, I guess, application and then an external. Do you distinguish between those two things? Well, I uh, w- uh, the bulk of the book is around self-reflection. But okay. through the storytelling in there um, that I share around how I led with that principle or how I brought that about on my team does get to your second point. Um, so every chapter... I tell a story about that specific principle. So I do think you could get that external application as well. Sometimes the external application was me learning the hard way, <laughs> but there is there is a counter uh, to that on, on how to go forward. So I, I do think it has both. Okay, great. Yeah, I was just thinking as I was trying to interpret the, the concept, I was like, it feels like there's hey, I need to have this for myself, but also in having that, then how do I maybe coach, train, or or lead others with this same formula? Yes, I would agree. Um, You know, the 10 principles are, um, and I'll go through them and, you know, we won't be able to go through all of them, but just for you to hear are curiosity, compassion, approachability, intentionality, inclusion, vulnerability, self-assurance, courage, resilience, and authenticity. And those principles and those ways of being are, you know, the things that I think bring about heart-centered leadership. So if there is a chapter on resilience, the steel backbone soft heart exercise is on how you can bring resilience out through one of those exercises and in one of those areas. And so it, it kind of goes through on on teaching you um, a bit more on those and giving good examples. Yeah. Okay. You, you've talked about the method of reflection a few times. How do you integrate reflection into your rhythm and how does it show up, I guess, in the book as well? Yeah. Um, well, it shows up in the book because it is a big, it, there's a lot of my reflection on how I dealt with a loss, adversity, um, but also also good times too, you know. And um, and so I'm a big 
for better or worse, I've always been my harshest critic. And I'm my harshest critic through self-reflection. So when I was an athlete, you know, after every game, I would kind of go through what I did well, what I didn't do well. I would get try to get feedback from others. What did you see? I was like a junkie for feedback. Um, and that that kind of fed into my professional life, you know, help me be better. That was kind of my mantra. Like, help me be better. I want to understand my impact on people. Um, and so I think that was uh that's a big motivator for me. So still to this day, after I give a talk, I'm like, okay, tell me what I did well and tell me where I can improve. And um, I really just, I do love that that introspective look. Now, sometimes it's painful. I mean, I definitely, you know, <laughs> I've had someone pull me right when I got off stage and I was on a high, I go, can I give you some feedback? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't think you nailed, you know, the authenticity piece, you know, um, and you kind of go, oh God, I was feeling so good, you know? So again, it, it does, it takes courage to ask for ongoing feedback and it really takes courage to self-reflect on the things that have hurt you mm. because that's where we have our growth, right? We grow through failures and adversity. You know, we can grow a little bit through success. We can grow kind of our technical functional knowledge, but I think as people, we grow through the things that are hard because life forces you to stop and take a look at what you're going through. You know, sometimes we can sail through success, but adversity makes you stop and go, Phew, how am I feeling about this? What, what's my part in this? And how am I going to get through it? Um, so I think, uh, you know, that that's how it kind of plays out with, with everybody. But for me, um, I just tend to do that naturally. <laughs> sure. And you're saying sports, growing up playing sports and at a collegiate level, it, it some of that's just built in and uh, part of the process. But I know for myself, I feel very fortunate to have been in competitive environments growing up. And if you appreciate that, then you can carry it forward. And it's something I would like, how can we recreate that, the benefits of that, you know, in our professional setting as as leaders and like, hey, here, let's have constructive conversations, give feedback on a regular basis, do it in a way that's intentional and you, you're trying to help your team grow um, and doing like being curious about like why they're where they are and to understand how to provide that feedback. But I think there's something really um, special about you having that opportunity to have gone through sports at a high level and it's showing up for you here. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I know uh, sports aren't for every kid, but it really does teach you some great lessons in failing and, and learning how to fail and learning how to work hard and learning how to move through that and rise above it. Um, and I guess it comes in other forms too, right? Cause I guess if you're in, in music, you can try out for things and not get it. But, um, that's why I worry sometimes when we shield our kids from, mm. you know, from failure that we're really shortchanging them, um, because it does make you grow as a, as a person. That's yeah, it's a great point and probably a rabbit hole we should watch out for. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but to your point, like that's, we have a new workforce coming in and, and the next, you know, foreseeable future. And perhaps they didn't have as much exposure to some of that or regardless of that, like how can we create an environment of continuous improvement and feedback for our team so that they can grow and get what they need to and get it in a way that they can digest and, and improve where they want to grow into. Yeah. You know, when I first got to Smile Direct Club um, in 2018, we were a very, very young company. Uh, very young. I mean, we're only eight years old right now. So <laughs> subtract four from that, right? So we were four years old, but we really were only two because 
you know, the beginning of it was a garage business. And, you know, that was kind of when we were getting started. And as such, we had attracted a really young workforce and they were so passionate and so uh, willing to go the extra mile for the business. However, they had never been, had never worked at an employer where feedback was expected. So when I came in and started this, hey, we're going to have ongoing regular feedback. It's, you know, we're going to have a culture of feedback. For some people, it was scary because they were like, oh, wait, are you going to criticize me? You know, they didn't understand the constructive part of it. So we really did have to work to build that muscle and to establish that, no, this is a good thing. It's it's to help you. But you have to root that in competencies. You know, it has to be rooted in something tangible or like in my book, the principles. But there has to be an agreed set upon measures that you're measuring against to give the feedback so that they can ground it not in, oh, you don't like me or we don't mash or whatever. It's no, it's like, this is the competency that you need to work on. It, it just, it kind of frees people from, and gives them the ability to depersonalize it. Right. I was just going to say depersonalize. I'm glad you went there. So you need a framework and it need to apply it consistently so that it is, in, there's relative, uh, or like a relative baseline. So when you do feedback with with your team and, and your influence and it, perhaps in the whole organization, I don't know, you use your your principles as that framework. So curiosity mm-hmm. um, and, and those as that's how you, those are the buckets or competencies that you frame the feedback in. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that, that'll that be my approach to how I look at, at the problem. Like, how can I be curious? How can I come at this with compassion? You know, how can I make sure this person feels included in the conversation? But then the feedback will be rooted in, we, you know, we have some leadership competencies gotcha. uh, that we hold people, you know, that we hold people accountable to. But, so it makes perfect sense. So the, the, the tools and the framework you'll want to use to approach the conversation are the 10 principles. And obviously in the organization you're in position dependent, they'll have competencies that are appropriate. Yes. And I mean, even if I'm going on to talk about a big change, an organizational change or something, I always kind of use these principles of, you know, how can I be the most compassionate? How can I commit this from a vulnerability point of view? Um, You know, one time, not, not at Smile Direct Club, but at a prior employer, I had to announce layoffs. Uh, And I remember I was really nervous before I went uh, aboard. And this is where I, you know, I learned some of these principles, you know, somebody said to me, you know, um, this is not about you, it's about them. And how can you show them compassion? And how can you give them the respect by taking into account how they're going to feel, you know, and and that was maybe the first time where I said, you know what, with any of these changes or org, org announcements, I need to spend time on these principles that are important to me. And I need to make sure I'm looking at it through that lens, not Am I going to perform well? Is my message going to be heard? But how's it going to be received? And, and that was sort of a game changer moment for me as a communicator. Mm-hmm. You talked about in your book, you, you said you've got some personal experience that you yeah. you draw from. Is is there anything in there you think is valuable to share from the book or your own personal experience about your journey and, and how it's influenced you as a leader? Um. Yeah, let me... There are. There are many. I think... You know, one of the ones, one of the more, one of the more painful ones, which I referenced earlier was, you know, I went through a season at at my employer where my leader really could not see my value. And it was really hard because I was kind of a lifelong overachiever (laughs) and I was successful in all I did from, from sports to work, to family, 
Uh, and it was really hard. And I, I'm a super positive person, but it really brought me to my knees. Um, and I was, you know, I was a vice president at the time, uh, you know, in HR, for goodness sakes. And um, I never felt more alone. And uh, it crumbled me at work and at home. So, you know, you can't separate these experiences. And that experience is what was really the foundation for me on the steel backbone part of this, because I let that go on for 18 months mm. where I was being treated poorly. Um, and the competitor and fighter in me just wanted to prove that I was worthy and that I was good. And, and, I, and the truth is, I was good. He, he just didn't like me. Mm. <laughs> and that was really, really hard. And uh, people have experiences like this all the time where a leader, for whatever reason, just doesn't respond to you. But for me, it started to become about whether I survive at that company or not. And so it really hit me. It really hit me deep and uh, it changed me forever. And it, it, it reminded me about the steel backbone. And that's really where I learned about boundaries, you know, self-respect, dignity, you know, just making sure that you know, when you're caught in a situation, A, that you learn how to ask for help and that you learn to help people see you. But, you know, I kind of forgot who I was and I needed people around me to remind me who I was so that I could get through it. And we did get through it and we started, we eventually worked well together, uh, you know. And well, that's a good success story. Yeah. That you managed I mean, it, to get over the hump. Yeah. It took him having a leader who basically said, you're at stake for her. You know, and, mm. that, you know, that was powerful because once he felt at stake for me, he completely changed. He opened his eyes and suddenly he could see me for me versus this version that he created of me. You know, that's so interesting. I mean, that ties to your your first principle, right? Curiosity in, in a way, right? If he was mm -hmm. uh, demonstrating early on uh, the curiosity to get to know you, perhaps you would have understood, you know, what that difference may have been differently. And yeah. I like I like to think that there's there's two sides to this, and one is you got to get out of people's way as a leader at sometimes mm -hmm. and let them flourish, and don't don't be the blocker. But you have to understand you may have a limiting belief or perception about somebody that you got to dig in and understand why they're doing what they might be doing, and you can help them get out of their way too. And yes. so it's it's both getting out of their way and helping them get out of their own way, and the combination of those two things can really unlock someone's potential. Yes. And I think as in, in the curiosity aspect also is like when we as a leader have an allergy to someone or when we're really like reacting strongly to someone, generally that's the time where I like to start to self-reflect. Like, mm. what is it about this person that I'm having such a strong reaction to? Oftentimes it's characteristics of myself that I don't like and I'm just blind to it. That's A. And then, or, you know, it is it is a characteristic that in my mind, somewhere along my life, I've deemed as bad, but it's belonged to another person, not that person. And so that is really when I have to stop and say, all right, let me just pause and really get to know this person. Because if we can connect at the heart, I know we can figure out a, a way forward. But it, it's usually a moment for me to gut check myself, not analyze the person in front of me that's really annoying me. <laughs> right. I mean, it's that that uh, belief, you know, we have like mirrors, right? That you're mm -hmm. you're you're seeing a reflection of something that's going on inside of you. 
And yeah. I love what you said of it being like a trigger when you start to have that reaction, like know that an indication, I guess you could say that, okay, well, time, something's going on. Something's reflecting that's probably on my end. That's, that's unpack here. And that's where you can be curious and seek first to understand yes. what that is. And it, it, there, there might be some kind of blocker or limitation that's more difficult to work through, but uh, it might be something as simple as just a misunderstanding. Yeah, no, you nailed it. You, you're exactly right. That's awesome. Well, any other experiences that you you identify in the book that uh, you want to share? Um, well, certainly. I, I I love every chapter because each chapter is kind of a, a, a there's a small part of my life um, that goes on in there. Um, it's hard I to do pick love, one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I do love the chapter um, where I talk about athletics and sports and that and that impact in my life. And the reason why I like that, well, I guess it builds on, I should share with you that I was an adopted kid. Uh, and, um, and as such, I had a very good adoptive parents. They were delightful. I love them. I mean, my stepfather is, was my best friend. Um, he's passed away now, but he was my best friend in life. Um, so I grew up with this nagging feeling like I didn't belong. Uh, but when I started playing sports, I finally felt like I belonged and that people valued that competitive side of me. I was super competitive kid. I had all brothers. <laughs> I had three brothers, four <laughs> brothers. And I was like, you know, always the girl in the middle of that. But sports made me feel like I belong. But the other thing sports did was it made me for the first time realize that there are so many people who are not like me, but who are on my team and who I have to figure out how to get along with. <laughs> and it it really was the basis for me on becoming a big speaker. I like I, I like to call it inclusion, diversity, and belonging, because you know a lot of people you know call it diversity and inclusion. But I feel like if you don't include belonging in there, um, you're missing the point of why we value those. We want everyone to feel like they belong. Um, and I'm a big speaker on that, and have been doing some things lately. But my participation in sports really taught me to value that. And it, it really taught me to see other people outside of how I was wired. And, you know, I'm a big a sponsor. Um, and, I mean, obviously, I'm in HR, but I'm, I love our um, employee resource groups, our team member resource groups, um, all of them, because each of them is bringing a perspective of feeling like they don't necessarily fully belong to the bigger groups. Yeah. And so yeah. I love pulling them together. And I talk about that, how sports made me understand these different areas, but I could, I could bond with them because I've spent my childhood and a lot of my adult life feeling like I didn't belong just for who I was. Yeah, that's great. I and mean, we shared this earlier and I, I was fortunate to have been on some, some successful teams growing up that, that did well. And you get exposed to what it looks like to be on a high achieving team that, that wins and what the components of that are. And then later you can reflect back on that, but not everybody has that experience or is as fortunate to do it, or maybe they're not into sports or competitive things and that's completely okay. So how can we draw from that and, and help support with you know, training yeah. or bringing exposure to like, what are the effective and I guess most valuable components of really strong teams? And like, what does that look like for someone who's never been exposed to it? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, um, my team knows like, uh, you know, we, 
we spend a lot of time. We I invest a couple of days into my team where we do what we I affectionately call soul bios, <laughs> where we have the opportunity. And, and I do have an exercise in the book about this. It's called the Tree of Life, you know, and it has your roots and you share your roots and what 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 really made you you, you know. And it's got you know what are your strengths in the middle and what are your opportunities are kind of you know what are your gifts to the world are kind of in the tree. But it's it's fully in the book. But uh, we spend that time because. When you can actually understand all of who someone is, they start to feel like they belong. And I really do think belonging is the key to to teams. But you you don't know if you fully belong until you're able to bring your full self there. Um, and, you know, so I think that's just so important as we go forward. 100%. You talked about, or I believe you talked about balance in your book and, mm-hmm. you know, a balanced life. And yes. trying to create that and how others could achieve uh, more balance. And can you share a little bit about what balance looks like for you and how someone might work their way towards that? Yes. In fact, one of the stories in the book is um, when I uh, worked at at Mars, which is a company I just love and adore. Um, but my first role in, in HR as an HR leader was in the corporate headquarters. And the corporate headquarters very much had a culture of you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And, and 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 my boss, who is my closest mentor right now, so she knows I'm talking about this. And I I actually talk about her in the book as well. She would come in at 5:30 <laughs> in the morning and stay till 7:30. And so, as a new person coming in, wanting to impress her, it could have been very easy for me to get into these longer hours. But I had three little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I started that role. I had a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old, and I wanted to be part of their lives. And so um, I remember going to her and saying, you know, um, hey, family dinner is really important to me. Like, I like to cook, and I really need to leave here by by 5 because I want to get home. I'll be back working at, you know, 8.30 after they go to bed. Um and she was really great with that. But the bigger problem was the rest of the office didn't work that way. So I did. I, I took it upon myself during a an all-hands meeting to share this story of like, hey, guys, I know I'm new here. Um, you know, my kids are important to me, as I sure they are you. I've made a commitment to myself and to my family that I want to be home for family dinner. I want to make it and I want to eat it with them. <laughs> and I just shared my why on that. And so when I left every day at five, I wasn't getting the you know, the half day Bob comments. Um, and I think people understood. And um, and for me, I always, always valued making sure that I was present for my kids um, as well as work. And it's not always perfect. I mean, my oldest daughter to this day will remind me of the one Thanksgiving lunch I missed in elementary school. She's 22 now. Um, so, you know, these things, we do have to make choices sometimes and we have to miss things and we have our guilt about it. But I was always very intentional about when I was going to carve out for my family and what I wouldn't miss. And I was unapologetic about that. And I'm trying to teach other new parents about how to be really mindful of your boundaries around what you can do and what you can't do. Now, of course, you always have to work with your leader on that. My leader, when I went to her with my asks, I had to have asks was very responsive to that. And if you just go to your leader and say, I need more work-life balance, they don't know how to... We, yeah, how would you know you're successful in creating it? We don't it? know what that looks like for you, you know? But I came with a very specific asks and 
you know, how I would make sure that I did my fair share of the work and, and she was responsive. So I always encourage people to, to know your boundaries and then to go advocate for yourself because no one else will understand what that is for you. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I've, I've always done family dinner, even, even at, at Smile Direct Club where again, it was, a uh, when I joined there, they said the culture wasn't just 24 seven, it was 25, eight. Oh. And we, 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 we've actively worked on changing that to bring more, we have a value now, um, you know, with our best through balance and, and we've really worked on that, but I negotiated when I was taking that role that I need to leave on these Thursdays at two to go to my girls' soccer games. I just brought it into the negotiations. I'm like, I'm not going to feel bad about it. I want to say up front that my kids play soccer. They play in middle school. I need to leave early. <laughs> and they were and they were open to that, you know. And then, But then I had to stand strong in that. There were meetings I had to miss. But if I didn't respect my boundaries, everybody else would suck me back into the system that was working. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's- it's interesting because there's a uh, a shared common benefit or outcome, and that's you're as productive as as you can be, and the, and the best version of yourself that you can be. And productivity is relative. I mean, it could be your, the most productive you can be towards your goals or towards the organization's goals or in fulfillment for yourself in the workplace. And so, having that balance relative to you is going to in theory, help you be overall more productive. And so you could be working 5.30 to 7.30 every day, but you're just your productivity levels are are much, much lower. I have a personal experience with this. Uh, my fiance, she was in a really high turnover, high burnout sales type environment when we first started dating. And she was on a very similar schedule. And was and she, she like one of her values is excellence. Like she just doesn't like being anything but amazing at everything she can control and and she just was she was battling cuz she hated the environment she was in but could not like let go of you know showing up at that level and then she eventually just threw in the towel uh, as hard as it was for her, but she had a better opportunity with a company that's more um focused on the whole person mm-hmm. i won't i won't share and and throw any yeah. companies under the bus or anything but the the organization she's with now is they they promote you know in a flexible PTO take your time they really encourage it they they force people to take time off in a meaningful way she's significantly more productive than she ever was when she mm-hmm. was in that environment and way happier and yeah. it's it's crazy if you just you know shift that mindset but i think in as an organization or as a leader you need to both do that for yourself but encourage it from your team because sometimes mm-hmm. you can't just say, "Hey, you know, like, yes, take time off." We encourage it. You need to like create an environment where that's that's not only possible, but you hold them accountable for creating balance. Yeah, we've just started on my team because we have unlimited PTO, and and now we work from home. <laughs> yeah, and so it blurs the lines, you know. But we've just started, so I don't have a measurement for you. But I've said to my team, my direct reports, I want you to take time off once at least once a quarter at least you know i want you to take a few days off it can be a week or you can do a couple long weekends but i want you to take that time off and i want that to be a goal of ours is that every quarter we will mm. have some time off so that that's we cool can recharge and and we're really trying that i want to get to the point where we go okay we're taking one week off a quarter <laughs> because people <laughs> need that you know it's it's yeah. hard because right now we're in the middle we're in a season of innovation and we're, we're changing our route to market. And so we're all, you know, we are, we are in the thick of it. So 
Um, well, shout out to your organization because I, like I said, I'm a customer and I've had a very positive experience so far. I'm like two months ish in, and from start to finish or start to present, it's been very positive. I so, love that. I love that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you can feel the empathy we have for your customer experience. <laughs> I do. It's great. It's seamless so far. It's been nothing but positive. Oh gosh, I I I love that. That is wonderful. Cheryl, uh, we we do something uh, on the podcast here at The One Thing and try to just narrow it down uh, as difficult as this question might be. Uh, If you could have our listeners take away just one thing from the podcast today, what would it be? I think it would be that knowing the power of your personal story and, and what you've experienced in life is the essential component to how you show up as a leader. And if you want to be a stronger leader, you need to bring that full sense of who you are and what you've experienced to your leadership style. Well said, Cheryl. Well said. Thank you. Uh, so if, if anybody wants to check you out, they want to get your book or find you in social, where can they do all that so they can connect with you? Yes. I would love for listeners to find me on LinkedIn. Um, Just look for Cheryl DeSantis and and I work at Smile Direct Club. And uh, the book is available right now on Amazon. Uh, You can buy it there. And if you do buy it, I would love a review. And then I have a website, CherylDeSantis.com, where I do post these podcasts. And so this one, I hope, will be able to be up there. Um, And and I share a little bit more about me and and about the book. So I would love to, to meet some new people and have you guys experience the transformation that I've been able to um, to experience by bringing these principles to life. Cheryl, thanks so much for doing this with us today and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.